Welcome to iPodcast Magic Missile, where we play games and talk geek. Broadcasting every week from the New River Valley in the beautiful mountains of Southwest Virginia, we bring you audio from some of the most exciting games, new and old. No actual wizard spells here, just actual play from great games. This is iPodcast Magic Missile. Someone had told me that it. I, I think someone else, possibly James, had told me disappointedly that it. Um, what movie is this, by the way? It's called Cash Back. It's some. Um, it, it, uh, it's British. It's a British movie, which I learned after I started watching it, and it's some kind of indie movie, which I could tell from the style of the pro, uh, production studio title cards at the beginning. Um, it uh, stars Ben. No, wait, the character's name was Ben Ellis. I don't remember the actual <laughs> actor's name. But it starred no actors I'd seen except for, like, one guy who did a bit part that um, played Moriarty in Sherlock mm, Holmes. Nice. And I like him. He was, but he was, like, he had, like, <coughs> three lines. He, he was just in the end of the movie. Anyways, so this movie um, is about a guy who breaks up with his girlfriend, gets devastating insomnia, and then takes a job working the night shift at a 24-hour supermarket. You guys saw that. And he gains the ability, perhaps imagined, it's, it's sort of a surrealistic movie, to stop time. Right. And, and so what he does is he stops time in the supermarket and goes around and then undresses the attractive female patrons of the supermarket, paints them because he's an art student and a painter, and then dresses them again and then restarts time. And in a number of points, like, I assumed from the beginning of this movie that this was, like, more of a, more of, more, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Like, he's imagining himself stopping time, but that's not really what's happening. But then some stuff happens in the movie that seems to suggest that it's real. Doesn't he do that in, like, a soccer game or something? Yes. Okay. He does stop time in the soccer game, though he doesn't do it and then interfere in the soccer game. He walks back to the clubhouse to get a soda from the soda machine. (laughs) Where they have this really terrifying scene. Like, I was not ready for any amount of fear to be caused by this movie. But he walks over to the the vending machine, and he puts money in the vending machine, and he turns the thing. And then, like, we, the audience, just hear, like, this, like, shuffling noise. It's like a kind of noise. And then he, you know, stands up rigid, and he narrates to the audience for most of the movie. Mm-hmm. And he says, last thing that occurred to me was that I am not the only person who can stop time. And so then he, like, turns around and he steps sideways. And, w- and if you're the audience, you can see that, like, when he walked in, he walked past a guy who was, you know, one of the people frozen in time. And when he put- walked past that guy, suddenly there was a dude in a hoodie looking away from the camera that we couldn't see his face who had been added to the frame behind that guy. And they started playing, like, chiller-type music. Mm-hmm. And I was like... I'm suddenly very afraid. Mm. Like, total terror scene came out of nowhere here. And so then he turns around, he's looking around the room, and he, and he focuses on the guy with the hoodie, because, you know, he also recognized that guy wasn't there. And he walks sl- towards him, like, slowly, and they play, like, sensible music. And then suddenly the guy in the hoodie turns and looks at him, and then, like, scurries out of the room at, like, super speed. And then he walks back to the soccer game where he was, and uh, the main character walks back to the soccer game and restarts time, and... They never pay. He, they never pay no mind to that scene again in the movie. It was probably one of the things contributing to its one and a half star rating. But for the money, I think it deserves more than a one and a half star rating. Um, like if I, I, I know why it got it though, because if you came for the boobs, the <laughs> story about 
like finding love and coping with emotional loss harshed your mellow. And if you came there for the story about finding love and emotional uh, and coping with emotional loss, the boobs were, I wouldn't say distracting, I would say more like morally offensive. Um, (laughs) Because they're, I mean, it's a big part of what the movie's about. Actually, one of the things that I found useful and entertaining about the movie was the, uh, its analysis of how a young boy comes to understand sexuality and the female body and like the sexual appeal of the female body because there's a lot of flashbacks throughout the movie to his young life where like he and uh, he the, the main character has this um, he talks about how his fascination with the female form started when he was very young and his parents had a uh, exchange student boarding with them <laughs> who was Swedish ah. therefore the walk back to her room from the shower need not be a modest one and then they have this very gratuitous scene where this very voluptuous, very young woman comes walking out of the bathroom, stark naked, with full frontal nudity, and the kid just stares as she like walks by. Um, and then, as though the scene weren't belabored enough, then he sees that she has dropped her panties on the ground, so he picks them up, carries them up to her door, knocks on the door, and then she opens the door, and we get more headless, full frontal nudity as he hands her the panties, like, you drop these, and she said thanks, and takes them from him, and then closes the door again. <laughs> so, like, it's like that. You can understand if you're the type of person who is, who never wants to be shown nudity outside of a porn movie, and you're like, I'm not, I'm not here to masturbate, so I don't need to see that. This movie could kind of bum you out. But I think that if you're engaged in the movie on the level of the main character, who is a legitimate painter who likes to draw the female form, they go, they, they really do a good job, in my estimation, though apparently not in some critics' estimation, of justifying the female form as a thing that has, like, is legitimate to want to see for non sexual reasons. The movie can do two things. Yeah. Yeah, the old walking around the supermarket undressing attractive female patrons was certainly a thing that I could see as being very controversial. Mm. Yeah, there's a, there's something a little bit uh, sexual assaulty about that. I felt better about More it. More than a little. Yeah, yeah. okay, a lot. <laughs> I felt better about it because because I, I approached it assuming that this was not really happening. <coughs> but then he walked over to his jerk boss, Picked up his frozen mannequin-like body, put it in a shopping cart, carried it to the back room where his two <laughs> slacker co-workers were in a spoiled milk carton throwing fight and planted him in the path of some airborne, frozen-in-time spoiled milk. So, you know, and then let time restart, and the guy got hit in the face. Which suggests he was actually disrobing and violating women in the supermarket. Yeah. yeah. But maybe, or... I'm pretty sure he was. So I there's can, a really great article it. if you look it up about being a fan of problematic <clears throat> art, which I think definitely applies to this movie. Mm. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've. I like it in the show notes. It would definitely yeah. a it definitely sounds like a movie that is problematic art. When I watched that movie, it was in like high school with my parents, and I don't even remember it being that awkward. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know they in, in the article you're talking about. They mentioned uh, Scott Pilgrim. Uh, that's problematic art. Well, Everything is problematic to one degree or another. Like, mm-hmm. we want to try to hold certain artists up on pedestals, like Joss Whedon as being like this, like paragon of feminism slash uh, whatever you know acceptance slash you know positive things that we 
we see, but sort of everyone has. There's always going to be a moment where when is Paltrow's bare feet? Yeah, I mean he's he's still going to objectify people. Paltrow's really hot. He's got hot feet too. I you totally see where Joss Whedon is coming from there, but I could see how some people couldn't. Well, no, I mean, but the, but the point is that like even sort of our men, men and women are sort of heroes who stand up for you know equality of all sorts of people. Occasionally, we'll put stuff into because we're all human and whatever. We'll put stuff into their um, put stuff into their art that is still sort of objectifying or you know takes away the uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for the the quality of protagonism the uh, the uh, not disempowers but you know what I mean uh, of characters based on you know uh, things and. It's still okay to like those things. Scott Pilgrim is actually, you know, fairly progressive in a lot of ways, but not in others. And like, I and think at the end of the day, it's about rescuing the princess. Yeah, pretty much. It's a classic story. No. Deprotagonized. That's actually the word I was thinking of. <laughs> I was disappointed that knives didn't uh, fight. Have to fight uh, Scott Pilgrim's evil ex-girlfriend at the end, or that. Rather that the the girl didn't have to fight Scott Pilgrim's evil ex-girlfriend knives at the end. Mm. Um, yeah, I well, wanted, to see, I wanted actually, to see an end where she had to fight knives. I think that was actually sort of one of the criticisms was that like it was all up to Scott to do everything, and whether or not that's like hello, hello, hello. 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 hey, surprise, it's me. Surprise, no more mustache. Oh right! Yeah, yeah you are. <laughs> I know. I'm really bad at like seeing you on a regular <laughs> basis. Yeah, well, I can see you fine now. It's cool. <laughs> You've now you're now you're now one of the select few who knows for a fact that I am not a holographic construct of funny games. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you. You can never we're, leave we're playing games. I think you're just a portable projector. Yeah, we're only like two blocks away. I can manifest in the presence of anyone who works for me. So Yanni or Conrad can carry me around. So I don't so think I, I told you either Will and Caitlin are not here this weekend. Yeah. yeah. So and we're going to I think we're gonna play Siron and then if Will and Caitlin wanna play Siron, we'll play Siron. I think okay. that's a decent compromise. Are you okay with playing a game yeah. called Siron? No, I, I object. Dun, dun, dun. I think I think uh, Duncan <laughs> might take issue with that because he was expressing earlier that it was like Monster Hearts, why? Oh, well, that was just because we haven't done it in like three weeks, and I know that's that last week's was I'm my fault. I'm kind of forgetting what's it, happening. It's no longer my fault. Well, listen to the podcast. Oh, that's true. <laughs> it's like you just edit, all the edit that part out where I, I have not remembered. Our first thought was we were going to have story time with Blake, but Blake, most of Blake's stories require Heiko being present. Right. Also, Heiko is an excellent radio personality, and I don't want to miss out on that. <laughs> so the other thing was, despite the fact that we lost our discussion of Twigers and like other bad people, oh, that's right. um, there's a couple of people here who have like pertinent, relevant, recent stories about, like, dealing with people who weren't quite fitting into a... Well, and I don't even have a resolution to that yet. Well, maybe we should discuss that. Like, is that okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we're not going to say any cast aspersions on anyone's character, and we certainly won't name names. Well, but, Duncan, you also said that you had had an experience. Oh, well, I was I was there for the conversation the and got a quick recap of it, and I thought that there was something interesting that... I didn't want to stick around and be in the conversation because it involved yelling and was late at night. <laughs> so hold on a second. I want to do one more quick sound check now that Joanna's here. Yes. Um, so this is Dave. This is Blake. This is still Duncan. This is Joanna. This is no longer Yanni. All right. <laughs>
before I like maxed it out on a couple of sound checks. You know like, well, yeah, see, stop being so, so meta. So I, I have this. <laughs> I have secret audacity yeah, skills that let me take all the levels and like bring everybody up. So some people sound slightly quieter than others, but everyone will be in the same basically the same audio range. Everyone will max out at about twenty, negative twenty uh, decibels. Liquid mm-hmm. audacity skills. Yeah. Mad fat. Non-shock skill. Non-shock skill. Audacity skills. Leveling skills. <laughs> I'm like I was a, doing Napoleon Dynamite. What? I was doing all these I'm like an audacity liger. I was going to drunk powers. Yeah, you, you mentioned Twiger. <laughs> Is that half tiger, so did half... Did you pick up Twigers or was no. that... that was no, that's the John Locke thing. Okay. And with his old, styly spelling, he spells tiger with like a... A W. A do, like a W and a Y... In my head, I pronounce it twice. So, just a quick recap of sort of what we said last time was that, like, so geeks sometimes do bad things. There is the whole geek social fallacies, you should look it up. Um, There's sort of two kinds of bad people at the gaming table. One one kind of, or what, nah, two kind of harmful people at the gaming table. One is the jerk, the twiger. The animal who is just looking to harm other people with his presence, or her presence, typically his presence. Uh, Although we've seen otherwise. And um, and that person, you know, yes, it's okay to throw that person out of your campaign. If they if they engage in behavior you wouldn't allow in your own house, they don't you don't need to allow them to be sitting at the gaming table with you. But a lot of the times, people do things and they don't realize it bugs other people. I know Yanni, you talked about how you didn't realize how your playstyle was upsetting uh, one of your DMs in a previous campaign. It's true. Um, and wish you know somebody had said something to you at the time, and you know, and now as we're gaming as adults, a lot of the times. You know, one of sort of two things is happening. One is a player is, is has a particular payout that they're like trying to get, but they don't know how to communicate that, and so they engage in behavior that sort of dis- is disruptive. And the other thing would be the um, the player who is so wrapped up in having their own fun that they don't realize that what they're doing is bothering other people. And both of those cases, communication can be really important because hopefully they're an adult. And you can have a conversation with them and be like, it looks like you're doing this. Some, sometimes having the conversation with adult children present is not the way to do it. Uh, <laughs> so so let's go to your... <laughs> so I did two sessions of Apocalypse World a while back when Billy's campaign kind of hit some rough spots and you're switching systems and blah, 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 blah. And... It went okay, everyone seemed to like it, but then like a lot of time passed, and one of the players was a little problematic. And so I started Apocalypse World again, and I just didn't invite that player, and he invited himself back in, and I'm too much of a passive, uh, passive-aggressive person to actually like say, look, I don't want you in my campaign. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't really that big of a deal. So we started again. So hold on a second. What was the behavior that was disruptive, though? Um, it was mostly just, I don't know, Apocalypse World isn't the most serious campaign ever, but I was trying to do kind of serious, and it was mostly just taking a argumentative nature towards the rules, like finding fault in everything. Not you didn't like the system. Right, kind of, I guess. I mean... I feel as though in the subsequent conversation, he didn't own not liking the system, though. He didn't own? Yeah. He, well, in fact, he's, he's put, like... like I, thought, I thought you had to talk him into admitting what you just dislike is the system, <coughs> right? right I, was, I, I was adjacent to that conversation. I, I, I never actually accomplished that when I had the 
the, the conversation with him. But, you know, he basically said, I don't want to play the guy's small mouth. I'll keep playing Apocalypse World. Um, and so when Big Eye Small Mouth started up, he disappeared. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just sort of an argumentative nature to the rules and not... I don't know, like... Rather than just picking names or whatever, he argued about whether or not he could have two names from the lists or one name from each list or... Um, you know, even after I said no, just pick one name. Like it was a big deal the whole time, and you know, it was arguing about the guy who sells names, and like, <clears throat> you know, uh, one of the guards in Apocalypse World in the last session was named Lala because whatever uh, is one of the names on the list, and uh, I was like, well, she got a short shift from the name salesman, and. You know, I mean, it's kind of funny, but, uh, so, and then I pushed it on G+, and I was like, hey, guys, here's the situation, what should I do, give me some advice on how I can approach this guy, and, you know, should I just say, yeah, you're my friend, but fuck you, get out of here, uh, how, how can I do this and not be a total asshole, and the biggest piece of advice that I ignored was talking to him alone. Uh, so a lot of the advice was things like, well, you should talk to him. And yeah. I know Will last time had specifically said, like, you always want to kind of give them an out. So it's like, you don't say, you know, you're being disruptive, you clearly are not having a good time. You say, it seems like you, you're not really digging this yeah, game, well, and, right? and that is actually, like, I, I tried texting him and apparently his phone doesn't text. So, like, I, was, I, I happened to be at the store. I was like, hey, can I talk to you at some point? I'm not sure how much fun you're having with Apocalypse World. And da-da-da. And then he was like, well, can you just come back here after uh, our D&D session is over? And what I should have done is said, why don't you come over to my house after the D&D session is over, and we'll talk about it. Uh, this is on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Instead... I went back over there, and uh, I even said, like, you know, I kind of want to talk to you when Pumpkin he's not around because Pumpkin was already giving us shit about the game. So, uh, was Pumpkin in the game? No, just was just around and being obnoxious. Uh, <laughs> was claiming that the angel having a sex move that gave history. And history gives experience. Oh, this conversation. Basically leads to the game uh, promoting uh, rape. Because if you have sex over and over, you can get experience. And Wait, what, really? What? Yeah. I actually thought this was interesting. This is the part I wanted to, to okay. say something about. Because So, after my like brief overview of what your conversation had been, I went home and talked to Wendy about this. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. And I, I was curious about your opinion, Dave. Because, mm. so I'm imagining a world in which somebody gets their hands on an angel playbook and shows yeah, up sure. to play some apocalypse world and looks at the playbook and says, "All right, the best way for me to level, because they want to level, is to lock up another player character in my basement and rape them." Right. Um. 
Except that I'm pretty sure, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, that rape doesn't count. Really? Yes. See, I, I assumed that Vincent Baker had thought of that and was designing an interesting playbook no, for if like, if the way, he wanted if it to you, be the worst if, person. If you look at the way the if you look at the way the moves all read, mm-hmm. they're all they all treat sex as sort of a, a either a mutually beneficial thing or a thing that people react to in sort of the normal way that people do. Like it doesn't make any sense for the driver to go off and like it, the driver to have sex with somebody and then run off and have to prove that nobody owns him mm-hmm. if he just rapes someone. That doesn't make any sense. You see what I'm saying? There, there, there's. Uh, it doesn't make sense that the the uh, faceless should be able to hold one and then show up to help you out if you just raped him or her. Is it showing up to help you out or is it showing up? Well, okay. Oh, I think it says like, it actually is more showing up to help out. Yeah, it yeah, actually it's says showing up. Yeah, to help it's, you it's out. like it's, I don't know exactly where it. I can we, find it out. When uh, in in the moment of need, you say the person's name. Either person can say the name and be there. Yeah, oh, okay. it's no explanation. And, and both people can spend that hold. So why yeah. would I? Why would I be given hold to to call on my rapist and have yeah. him show up? <laughs> I mean, um, I, I don't know. I, See, I, I looked at it and said, "Here's." A horrible yet interesting character. Because, one, it doesn't seem to me like the rules of Apocalypse World would allow that situation to last for very long. No. Because, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first scene when they leave the room is something like roll acting under fire to escape. Yes. Period. Or something or, like that. Well, I mean, we have mean, to follow from they the would fiction, say, but. I want to be, try and escape. And you'd say, roll acting under interesting. fire. It wouldn't be interesting if there was no way to escape. Otherwise, that character would have no narrative anything yeah, exactly. on. So that, it, you're right. that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't even make sense. So you're right. I mean, rape is certainly a thing that can happen in Apocalypse World, and we definitely skirted, certainly skirted the edge of sexual assault on a number of occasions. Well, certainly accuse me of it. I honestly think that that was. But. But it was a char- seduce manipulation. It was a seduce, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like like I said, I, I don't. I'm pretty, and I'm pretty sure I've read somewhere, and it might be in the rules, and it might just be in the sort of the peripheral whatever around it that it doesn't count unless it's consensual. Uh, I, I or at least, I don't recall you know, anything like that. I mean, I don't I mean it, it has to at least be in the gray area of you and found. I basically told <laughs> pumpkin, like, look, if you come to the game and are like, hey. I'm gonna type and win, your character win this game by uh, mechanicalistically <laughs> abusing rape. I'm gonna be like, you're not playing in this game. See, so, so, so here's the other thing: is that and, that and then like, I try to switch back to talking. The, the only thing about Apocalypse World <laughs> is it is a shared creative <coughs> space, and everyone has to kind of be coming to the table looking to do the same thing. And in so much as the meta in Apocalypse World actually assists with the non-meta, it's a very well-designed game that way. There are always going to be ways to break stuff. Oh sure. Um, I, I mean, I feel like everybody else is playing the game is kind of embracing the sort of philosophy that Apocalypse World has, where you play to see what happens. Um, we had a great bit where the brainer, uh, I basically gave him the opportunity to either save his own skin and get into the the hard holding by himself, or risk alerting the the pack of zombies that was coming for him. By telling the other people uh, that there was a pack of zombies there, and he chose to say, "Screw them! I'm looking out for myself." And 
you know. That's a perfectly fine decision. Oh yeah. This world. But but uh, and then everyone else would be you're such a bastard. The play all the other players get to you're such a bastard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like so going back to this, going back to the situation, he didn't. Your, this player didn't seem particularly enamored with your. But 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 he wasn't willing to admit that he wasn't enamored with it. Right. He keeps because. Holes and I, so actually, can I, I do have one other question? So actually, you just brought up a thing—the whole idea of play to see what happens. I think part of the you get to pick these names, you get to pick these looks. Mm-hmm. Is may, I wonder if that doesn't help players let go of their like preordained concept of what their character is. Like you just show up and be like, "All right, this, 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 this. I guess this is my character." I was reading. Does that make sense? Reading in one of the mm-hmm. blogs, a guy a guy was talking about how when he took the advanced moves for like read a sitch, read a person. Uh, if you hit it on a 12, you're no longer constrained to like one of these five questions. You can ask anything. And when that happens, you get hit with analysis problems. Oh, yeah, you freeze up completely. Like, you know, if you've only got five questions, you're like, well, do I want to see who my It's, it's funny because this, this very but... thing, this very thing happened. Um, I'm, I'm listening to the Jankcast's ongoing AP, and this very thing happened to Todd uh, when he. He hit the first time he hit the advanced Rita person. It was like, um, and he's usually like, you know, Barthorpe Apocalyptica. That's like his thing. But like, coming up with awesome questions. But it took him like, uh, and, and I'm not sure if they if they edited it even more out. Mm-hmm. But it took him a while to come up with like good questions. We should write. Constraint sometimes breeds creativity and keeps you in the fiction. When I play Apocalypse World, I don't look at a move and go, oh, well, if I ever use this move, I've got a 35% chance of failing and being host forever, so I'm just not going to take this move. <laughs> um, but he was complaining about the hard holder's main move, the leadership one, where you know when you're, you and your gang are doing a thing, uh, on a failure, they turn on you and try to turn you over the other guys or whatever. And I didn't have a cu- good answer to that before. In the spirit of the stairs... Uh, I came up with a good explanation, which was that you know, depending on the situation, <laughs> the, the first answer. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, different different things might happen. So maybe it's one guy, and you'll know not to trust that guy anymore. Yeah. Or you know, maybe a couple of the guys will try and turn you over, but really it's a trick to get the other people to let their guard down. Or you know, I mean, depending on the situation. Or maybe it's just interesting, d- dramatic for your character not to succeed at everything all the time. Well, I did tell him that right up front, and that didn't seem like... But I want to be awesome. I want to win all the time. He wants to know how to play... Like, he wants to know how to play the game better than everybody else. Yeah, and it's not a system mastery game. No. It's not D&D. Uh, Monday, we're going to play another session, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, I never actually got him to say, like, I'll give it a try, <clears throat> and I'll try and... Like, is he following the the player commandments? Is he following the directives? It seems um, like he's not. <laughs> Did you go over that with the players beforehand? Yeah, I mean, <coughs> the, the, there's there's only so much there. Yeah, but there's um, like three or four things, like player characters. If there were a person play to see what happens, that sort of thing. Like, yeah, um, you, and it, you know, maybe maybe I'm just putting too much on from the first time. Because he did play a hard holder again, I tried to get everybody into the hold. Uh, like I started everybody outside, wanted to throw in a little bit of zombie fighting, to try and get everything interesting. And so, like, you know, the two of the characters were showing up, 
but one of them had some history with them, so wanted to disguise herself before she went in. And then while that was happening, another guy had been kind of spying on them. And so I had a little thing where, like, he spotted some zombies coming up while they were, like, changing their appearance. And then, you know, then the zombie fight happened, and the other guy, who happened to be coming in just to get food, uh, heard the, the gunfire and showed up, and Billy flubbed his role just as Travis showed up, so I ended up shooting him before I realized that Billy had a five-harm gun. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> these uh, things happen. Well, one of the harm was because he's merciless, and so I, I only made it do four harm. Because <laughs> he can choose uh, not to be merciless. Well, no, because he was surprised. Oh, okay. Like, he, like... Couldn't Travis just take two disfigurements right then? You just take one and be at Yeah. Oh, okay. Or you can just get oh, right, right. attention. I have too much monster hearts. Yeah. I, I only had four HP. No. <laughs> six. Six HP. Yeah, he's five. Yeah. Just get him the angel quick. <laughs> well, unfortunately, the angel was the other part of the team that was there. So. Yeah. So, but anyways, but, it, it but seems like... That ended up taking a long time. And, you know, I did a little bit of stuff with some NPCs inside the... So what you're saying is you didn't think... You, you think also like, compounding that was that he didn't get enough screen time to Part start of it, off. but, like... You know, when I, every time I was trying to do, you know, the first thing was like the factory guy wanted, he got surplus. The factory guy was like, "Hey, we're making lots of money. Let's let's have a party for the the workers and have a couple days off and make everybody happy." And um, he wouldn't talk in per, in first person. Like it was all, it which is hard to have a scene. It's hard to right. It was hard to to engage him, but worse, like he would start asking questions about the rules in an argumentative way rather than like trying to engage with the guy. Yeah. So he'd be like, I want to know about the mechanics. I don't care about the role play. And That's not how you... That's not... Because you can't engage the mechanics without the role play. Right, like It's a requirement. Right. And, you know, so I, I, I tried really hard <laughs> to, like, to get that. To do it, you have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I just need to say that more often. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but some people, some people, we, I definitely, you know, even at even at Forge Midwest, like, ran. We had we had a few people that had only ever played Pathfinder before, and they, it took them a long time for them to wrap their brains around this type of role play. It, it's yeah. it's not what a lot of people are used to. And if he's a guy who likes system mastery and he's into the mechanics. It might not actually be the game for yeah. him, but let me give it another shot. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. Good luck, and uh, hopefully so I can pull it off. You guys were also there. Any other observations? Like, oh, well, I mean, I got to hear the other side of it from some of the people in your game, and I think part of the problem. I mean, I know this guy, and I don't doubt. You know, <laughs> most of the most of Yanni's story. However, I, I would uh, love to hear other opinions. Uh, it, the impression I got from from some of your players was that he had really enjoyed playing the Maestro D, mm-hmm. and like it sounded like he was doing a better job when he was playing the Maestro D, and now he's playing a hard holder. I, I don't know that he was, but I <coughs> reports reports indicate that he was having a better time. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, I think I I, I, I kind of really. I, I didn't get the new new copies of the character sheets printed out, so I didn't right, let them yeah. do it. But uh, the the Maestro D just got too too silly for me to be able to maintain suspension of disbelief. Um, <laughs> was he? Oh, well. He was the chairman, and the, 
the casino he had was oh, right. the cat's meow, and Billy kept calling him Chairman Meow all the time, and <laughs> uh, I just wanted to shoot myself. <laughs> but uh, to be honest with you, like one of the things that like we, we talked, you know, we've seen the, the the at least Heiko pulled in the same page tool thing and, and some other things like that. But one of the things that's not on there that often should be is how Gonzo do you want this experience to be? Yeah. Like, that should be something that people all sort of agree on, I think, ahead of time. Because it's perfectly fine to go gonzo, especially in a one-shot, as long as everybody's okay with that, but you lose some of the, the intense experience in a game like... Well, and, you know, for the first couple, that was that was fine, because it was just a, hey, we're going to play a couple sessions till... Uh, Besom comes back. Yeah. Uh, but this was actually, this is actually potentially going to be a long-term campaign, right? Right, because Billy's in no hurry to start his zombie thing. Gotcha. And so I was like, you know, I could I could do Apocalypse World as an actual campaign, um, and you know, the very first thing I, I did when I sat down was like, all right, two things. We last time we pl- you guys played it as a party game. I don't want this to be a party game. This is not Scooby Doo. You're not going to all pile in a van and go solve adventures. Um, <laughs> and two, I want it to be a little bit more serious than last time because last time was way silly. Uh, not to say you can't have fun, but I don't want it to be, you know. Super wacky, crazy times, uh, and, and I think it bears mentioning that a lot of the um, a lot of the players in our larger player group don't possess a throttle for their level of silliness. I know I barely do at all. <laughs> it is very, very difficult for me to keep in mind that there is a target level of silliness, and not simply float to whatever, you know, level of joke is immediately apparent. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, the Bottomless Bag campaign was precipitated on a very silly concept, but I actually ran it very seriously for a long time, until all the most serious players had ended up dropping out of the party. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, th- and that was when it really became, like, crazy clown shoes time. But you know what? <laughs> this is actually interesting, because we were talking about this last time. The sillier something is, the straighter, the more, the less you can break the fourth wall, the, the more serious you have to play it. That's why movies that are constant where people are constantly uh, silly movies where people are constantly mugging for the camera are annoying. Silly movies where the characters are all playing it straight, but the film is, is but the but the characters are ridiculous. Like Blues Brothers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Blues ridiculous. Brothers works because the, the characters are deadly serious even though the movie is ridiculous. Yeah. That is one of the best movies. So ever. I mean a, a campaign with a particularly <coughs> silly premise right. almost needs to be played straight. And you'll still have the, the the yucks because it was also let's be fair it was a three five campaign run in the year two thousand and six two thousand and five it was a lot of us were uh, substantially younger um, there was just kind of a uh, so, so so okay all of us were substantially younger <laughs> speak for yourself so, so, so I know I realize we're going to get a story time with Blake about the uh, bottomless bag campaign but what's the elevator pitch for the bottomless bag campaign and should I do it now. Just, just quick, quick elevator pitch. One paragraph. I don't know what elevator pitch means. Oh, it's if you have to describe it to somebody on an elevator ride, if you have to sell it to somebody on an elevator ride down. Um. Okay. Normally, I, I had actually been planning on explaining the this with the long version about how we got the idea in the first place, but the long and short of it was that it was not party of level one third edition adventurers in a very stereotypical kind of D and D Greyhawk world. Um, who happen to find themselves in possession of a bag uh, that they can reach into to pull out uh, any object that exists on a table 
in a book in third or three five Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and the shenanigans that ensue. Uh, it was really precipitated on the idea of breaking the item economy of third edition because I'd never been in a campaign in which the item economy of third edition was um, faithfully represented. Like, we'd had DMs who didn't give us enough stuff, and we'd had DMs that gave us too much stuff, or allowed us, worst of all, to acquire our own stuff at a rate limited only by our ingenuity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Conrad was in this campaign, so you can imagine... You it's know, okay, I'm in his Iron Kingdom's campaign right now. It's yeah. Just, it's just still half like Our stuff the... is limited only by our ingenuity. <laughs> That's the best kind of Monty Hall campaign, though, because you earned it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that they... Is it as bad as the previous Iron Kingdom's campaign, or... Oh, no, it's, it's a good time. It's okay. a good time. But we do, have, I mean, we do have access to the King's <coughs> Coffers, and therefore have, like, upgraded our Warjacks to War Machine-quality Warjacks. Like, I have a Cador Berserker, and Burkhan has a Spriggan, with, like, a Ghostbusters uh, cannon on it that busts ghosts and stuff. Nice. Yeah. Needless to say, the economy was well and truly broken. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys were level one and doing epic level things. That was the that was the, the like I said, the basic idea yeah. behind the campaign, though. I, and part of it was me just proving that I could do it. I was be like, I don't think that I really need to observe this item economy. And but it, you know, it was wacky times. Um, we started off with like nine players too. And yeah. It was, that was an, that was a, that was a feature of fun and games games at the time. It's like somebody's starting a D and D campaign. Dog pile. Dog pile in. Well, I, I think that the Dungeon World one isn't going badly with somewhere between five and eight players, depending on the day. Yeah, really. <laughs> Having that many people does mean we almost always have enough people to run it. Yeah. Though, as, I, every time we have a session of that without the full complement, like with more than one or two people missing, it kills me. It really <laughs> kills me. Like, I've been... I, for two, for a couple of reasons, I've been making a point of really getting up James's ass about showing up to those Dungeon World games because he he skips it on a regular basis out of apathy, not because he actually has something else to do. And I've been like throttling and being like, "You jerk! You get mad at me when I don't invite you to social engagements that you have no business going to. And then you don't come. You're invited to this. I am telling you honestly right now. You know, because it's me. I want you there." I honestly believe that that campaign is dramatically worse when Valthum is not there. Yeah. He is the only reasonable moral conscience of the party. <laughs> That's true. And you know what? I, I I give him enough. I give him enough of a hard time. I'm, I'll take nothing away from him. I think that James, as a role playing person, actually adds something to that he campaign. Does. Absolutely, that James is, is a fun. A, a very important. And I've B. enjoyed every character he's ever played. Yeah. <laughs> a very important. And B. None of us are actually really doing. Right now, mm-hmm. yeah, which like, is, which it, well, it, it, it's that he is, he's playing straight laced. Yeah, like Will is playing Apocalypse World, and Caitlin is playing <laughs> Apocalypse World, <laughs> and I'm playing D and D, and Yanni and Aaron are playing D and D. I haven't really got a beat on your yeah, husband, you but I don't think you guys have strung together two consecutive sessions yet. Not. I sort of felt yeah. like you guys were playing Judge. World, though. Judge, I know. Well, it's because every... <sighs> yeah. Burn you to the ground with my eye beams I know! Judgment. I do feel bad about it. I really do. It's just that <sighs> there tend to be... It's like my parents plan things to interrupt Dungeon World. And uh-huh. so I tend to be... Like, two of the times that I've missed Dungeon World have been because 
I've been doing stuff with family. And well, that's I the last, the, most of the time that I'm this Dungeon World, and I'm the, and I'm the DM. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so, because I'm, I have I have other obligations with right. with, with various things. I should be back though mm-hmm. for the next session. But the other yeah. reason is I think the party dynamic is actually really cool when oh, everyone yeah. is there. Oh, I think yeah. that's 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 really yeah. the appeal. And I really do want to be there. Are we are we having it this Sunday? It would be a week from because okay, I think it good. just happened, right? This yes, it just happened, and I was sick and miserable. Let's let's sort of bring it back. So, has anyone else had a sort of a a problem player that they were able to like deal with or not deal with? And maybe like what would because we were all younger then, what would we have done differently? <laughs> I don't know. I felt like I actually dealt with my problem players in a fairly reasonable way, but they mostly dealt with themselves too. Like a lot of them just went away because they weren't enjoying things. I guess... I, I don't, whatever Which is I, a reasonably mature thing to do. Well, I guess whatever I did, I wasn't doing it actively. It was more of an accident, but I, you know, knowing my personality, me as the DM, you can kind of understand how if somebody's, if somebody's behavior in my campaign was displeasing to me, they might coincidentally find themselves not enjoying the campaign as much and just feel unmotivated to get out of bed and come over and show up. Also, every time they glance at you, probably they catch on fire. So there's that too. I don't... I, I haven't no, set don't. anyone on fire in quite some time. <laughs> judgment laser I-beams. You, you can produce judgment laser I-beams. It's a thing. I don't know if that was a situation... Like, I didn't judge Pam out of the campaign. I didn't judge Shields out of the campaign. No, it was... Based on oh, okay. your earlier reference to your judgment laser eye beams, I can't be held responsible you, you for my earlier it. references. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. Anyway, the um, who was bad in that campaign? I suppose my most problematic player that like didn't just get solved by apathy was Conrad, <laughs> but he was also. I mean, he was also kind of the, like, black hole that we were orbiting <laughs> in that campaign. Like, he was certainly a destructive and, you know, abhorrent, unnatural force, but he was also <laughs> the thing that made the campaign happen. Like, when everyone else was like, eh, we don't know what to do in this situation, we're trying to roleplay in some kind of accurate way, Conrad was like, I know what I want. Murder all the babies. No, 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 no. He was... He was much more contrived than that. The murdering babies was entirely a side effect. The, um... It was mostly about the, um... The, the... What's the word I'm looking for? The material acquisition. Conrad wanted a floating palace with a, with a gift shop. That was what he wanted, and that was what he got. And everything that he did was singularly guided towards that goal. He had bought him a strong little builder's guidebook, and God damn it, he was going to use it. Um, and he used it quite well. I mean, like, like I said, I think Conrad is the only person that keeps asking, hey, when are you ever going to bring back the bottomless bag campaign? Because technically it went on hiatus. It never ended. They never did, they never did find a way to defeat that one-up lich. Um, if you... If you uh, If you bring that one back before One Piece, you're going to have a revolt. There's, funny enough, there's bridges and hurdles beyond that that I haven't been talking about. For example, your character has been rescued from death, mm-hmm. so something needs to be done about that. And I find myself feeling really uncomfortable about demoting a once-PC character to NPC status, or writing them out of the story, <coughs> or having another player play them. Well, the middle of those... Very, depending, a- depending on how long it is before... Or when, when you want to bring it back... Let me know, and you I might consider playing in it again. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if I want to if I want to rub you and hike up against each other anymore. I've aged several years since then. <laughs> That's yeah. true. true. I've aged like two or three years in a not unmeaningful 
amount of character changing aging. Right. Well, we could. I mean, we've all yeah. the player. All the players are players that can be reacquired. We can bring James back in too. I'm sure he'd be. We'd have trouble getting Jamie. Of course, this character had a had no, a nice. He, to the yeah, he's Princess Vivi out of the story. Yeah. Really, all of all of the missing characters could be Princess Vivi out of the story in one manner or another if they needed to be. Well, I had a really good Princess Vivi escape arc for you him. did, and or I don't know, good by Blake standards anyway. But the point well, is that. Well, thank you. Is that a One Piece reference? That is a yeah. One Piece reference. Yeah. She's a character a... who escaped the cast. It, it, it's uh. a character who, who spent more time with the cast than most of the other NPCs that have spent time with the cast, and then went off to become the princess of the kingdom that she was princess of, which is a reasonable thing. She waved goodbye to them from a butte as they <laughs> sailed is away. Is it butte or butt? It's butte. Okay. I'm sure it's pronounced butte, though I also it's the wrong thing because it was really a seaside cliff. Which is a seaside butte. Well, there's a word for that. No, butte has to fjord. be freestanding. It's yeah. true. Fjord? Is it a fjord? Is no. that a fjord? Well, no, fjords fjord have a, to be a like that. Chasm that, that the river yeah. runs through to the sea. Mm. I figured it could have been a fjord. Which is unlikely in Alabasta since what it's about in the middle of a desert. Crag? A crag. What's uh, a crag? I don't think it's. <laughs> would crag work? No. I think it would. No. What, is, crag. what is a crag? A crag could be a, a large, pointy rock outcropping. Okay. So I've heard of craggy cliffs by the seaside. Oh, well, there you go. Bottom line I'll is, crag. that guy had to go... <laughs> that, that player had to go to war in Afghanistan, and so we found a good way to write him out of the yeah. campaign. Right. It was actually pretty awesome. But the... Um, like, we, we... There's gonna have to be a time skip to bring the, uh, like, level, you know, 9, or level level 13, or whatever character... Whatever level the dead well, characters good, are. at least one of my characters needs a costume change. Good. That can't happen without a time skip. Oh. Because there's no clothes in hell. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, you just have to write love letters to all of the PCs. Yeah, there you go. Love yeah, letters. That's actually a pretty good mechanic from... Uh, well, is that a real mechanic? Or yes. is that just a thing? Love letters is in the book in Apocalypse World. Oh, okay. It's, no, not, it's, it's not super explicitly... No. It's sort of like... He gives examples. He says, like, write, write a love letter to your PCs now and then... But he doesn't actually like be like. I thought he gave a couple of examples in the book of love letters. I'm, I'm almost certain there are. I, it, it's hiding under the laptop, so I'm not going to get it. Do you understand what we're talking about at all? Nope. Okay, so <laughs> you write like a letter that says like here's some cool stuff about your character, and something's been going on lately, like during this time skip perhaps, and here are some choices you can make. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be so, so. So, for instance, do you remember when Aaron Braden? Oh, oh, Aaron. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> when his when he was when he was secession, do you remember when he came back and I said, "You've been scouting on something, blah blah blah." You right. know, roll, here roll the roll plus decks or whatever it was, and like pick was pick, pick one, two, or three of these things. That's a love letter. Oh, it's yeah. It, but they don't have to be like. It doesn't necessarily have to involve a role, but it could. Mm. You know, but the, the idea is that you can enjoy some randomness, but it's basically, what's your character been doing? Pick a few things and pick some complications. Mm. It's a really great mechanic. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, anyway, that so hurdle number one was the was the player to character ratio. Um, hurdle number two is the one piece lore ratio. <laughs> where, frankly, in the last six months, Oda has done more to expand on like the stuff that we wanted him to expand on in the story than he has in any other six-month period since the beginning of the series, and it's uh, nowhere close to enough. Like, I don't feel like most of the. Uh, it's just an unfortunate. 
One of the things about this campaign is that I know that you keep saying, ah, just trample all over Ken and it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I'm not prepared to do that. I'm not emotionally prepared to do that. I, you know, you talk about how constraint breeds creativity. That's a constraint. That's a yoke that's just shaped too much like my shoulders for me to shrug it off. I, I, I like trying to operate within Oda's mysterious canon. I like taking risks like betting on a thing being the way something works. You were right about bodies. The, the devil fruit stays with the body. I, I was, yes. Yeah. Um, but, uh... Oh. <laughs> I thought it stayed with the skeleton. Are you familiar with One Piece? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Um. And the, the, a, a, when you die, a new one can bloom for you, apparently, yeah. seems to be... Oh, you don't read the manga. No, but, um, the, the stays with the body when, um, um... The Blackbeard thing, yeah. What? Blackbeard. Well, no, the, the, the switching of souls. They, the, 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 um... Oh, right. Tashigi could still turn into smoke. Inside right. his body. Right. Oh, yeah, that is relevant. And that was a soul swap. Very handy. Yep. You know, I didn't even pick up on that implication. Yep. I was thinking about this arc where Blackbeard took the rumble fruit from, uh, from well, Whitebeard's yeah. corpse. But then they also have, in, in the manga just recently, they've revealed that a new uh, fire fire fruit has bloomed. Yes. And that's a thing that... Well, Ace is dead, so now yeah. we can. So that's a thing. But they no. explicitly called that out. They said, it's said that no more than one person can have a given devil fruit no, power. As soon as, as I saw time. the soul swap, as soon as I saw Tashigi go smoke, I was like, oh, okay, Blake was right about that. <laughs> Good guess. Uh, yes. Um, anyway, the... Um, How do I control this thing? Yeah, but the, like... <laughs> But there's just kind of other stuff about the new world. Like, for example, I really want them... This is really important because, like, we knew about the governmental jurisdiction of the Grand Line. But now we only know a little bit about the governmental jurisdiction of the new world. Like, for example, apparently the entire new world is split up into territory belonging to the four emperors. Like, are there free territories in there? We don't even know who, like, anything about one of the emperors. Like, a single damn thing besides their name. So I guess I just have to make you guys avoid that guy's territory. But we don't know what Blackbeard's been up to yet. If you guys have to go through Blackbeard territory, we don't know how Big Ma works. If you guys have to go through Big Ma territory. Like, there's just too much about the New World that's not known. And I wouldn't want to have you guys start playing in that sandbox when I just don't know enough about the sandbox yet. You know what I mean? I feel like, at this point, it's almost got to wait for, like, One Piece to finish. Which I know is twelve years from now. Yeah. Speaking of <laughs> playing, if this is going to be yeah, sorry, yeah, we three hours actually, yeah, yeah. probably we should get going. This podcast is fully copyrighted by its hosts. Visit us at podcastmagicmissile.com. I podcast magic missile, attacking the darkness since two thousand twelve.